White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 606. 10, 9, 8, 7, ignition sequence started, all engines are started, we have ignition, 2, 1, 0, we have a liftoff, we have a liftoff and it's lighting up the area, it's just like daylight here at Kennedy Space Center, the second five is moving off the path, it is now clear the top. DragonCon 2021, here we are on the American Sci-Fi Classics track. Always such a great time to be uh, to, to spend on Gary and Joe's track, and we're all excited to be here to talk about the movies of 1984. Some say it's the greatest movie year ever. Some, are, some need to be convinced of that. Yeah, so we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. We'll see. All right, and uh, I, am, I am Van Allen Plexico. I am the host of the White Rocket Podcast, among others and author of quite a few books, but that's not what you're here for. You're here to talk, to talk about the movies of 1984. So let me introduce uh, our panelists tonight, starting with David. All right, very good. My name is David Wright. I am a lifelong lover of 80s cinema. I have made the specific effort of just delving into 80s movies almost exclusively for the last two or three years. I've concluded that 1984 is my favorite year of the decade, so I'll be championing the year for sure. But anyway, I have uh, I've known Van here for a long time, and I we've we came together over Avengers fandom. I'm also the author of the Galahad's Doom epic fantasy novel series. Mike, howdy! I am uh, Mike Gordon. I'm a writer and podcaster. Earth Station One is uh, where you can hear me every week uh, with all sorts of pop culture reviews. Uh, I also host the Dragon Con Report and co-host the Earth Station Who report. Um, podcast for the ESO network. Um, and yeah, I do a little bit of writing uh, comics wise. Uh, my books, uh, Tiki Zombie just celebrated their 10th anniversary. So pretty excited about that. And um, but again, not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about movies. Bobby. Hi, I'm Bobby Nash. And when I'm not watching movies and TV, I, I write the occasional book. Um so uh, I can't say that 1984 is my favorite movie year overall, but I there are some really good stuff out of this year. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to get into that and we're going to see where we end up kind of rating it. And we're going to see, because I, we I was kind of talking about this beforehand that I really feel like this, this year, 1984, it may not have the most home runs or grand slams or whatever, but it does have an, inordinate number of movies we remember a lot of movies it was like week after week there were one two three coming out at a time and you go back and look at that list which we're going to kind of talk about and you're just like that oh that oh that you know just one after another so we've certainly got plenty to talk about tonight and maybe in the future we'll do some more of these on, on different years all right so 1984 i think the first thing that we need to get into is i've said that kind of what made this year so good was that it just had a lot of pretty darn good memorable movies. Was there anything else about it? Is, is Does anybody feel like it had like their favorite movie or just like top five, top 10 all time movies? I want to kind of see that before we get specific. No. Okay. Well, I, I think there's a couple of movies that might make my top 10. It depends mm -hmm. on the day. You know, that's <laughs> one of those things that's constantly changing. 
Um, and certainly there are movies that in here that I feel like are the best of movies from a certain genre. Mm-hmm. Um, even if we step outside of, of sci-fi fantasy, there's some dramas, there's some uh, comedies, there's some um, uh, other movies that I think are are the best of the best, really. Um, uh, and so they're scattered. And also looking over the list, I mean, just like almost everything else in the eighties, one thing that struck me was the variety, uh, the, the, the difference of the number of movies. You look at all the movies that are coming out. It's not just, you know, cookie cutter movies that are coming out. There's like, there's, there's franchises that are starting. There's some that are continuing. There are some that are ending. Um, and it's a very, very, it feels like it's a very, very fertile time for, for movies. It, it was also a, it was also a year of career defining movies i think i think we're gonna as we're going through this we're gonna see some movies that that's what that actor is still known for or this is the thing that jump-started this particular person's career i think we're gonna see that a couple of times and also the amount of mike mentioned franchises the amount of franchises that are still going today that were part of this year that's that yeah. started in 1984 yeah yes yeah, so yeah. i don't know if 84 is gonna have anybody's number one or top two or three movies in it. But like you're saying, Van, even though the highs not, might not be the highest that you find in the 80s, probably the overall being, in my estimation, is probably higher than any other year, just because there's so many really memorable movies, not just commercial hits, but also genre movies. Like, not only... All right, so I found this out, a little bit of trivia about 1984. It was the first year that the domestic box office broke $4 billion in grosses. Ooh. So that's... That's that's a successful year. Um, it was two of the, for the first time in history, two movies cleared a hundred million dollars in profit. That was Ghostbusters and Indiana Jones. And if you count Beverly Hills Cops, nineteen eighty-five money with its eighty-four money because mm-hmm. it, it came out at the end of the year. Right. If you count that, that makes three movies that cleared a hundred million dollars. Mm-hmm. So a very successful movie that way. In addition, like Mike was saying, there are there are a lot of sci-fi and fantasy genre films in here that, for folks like us, we're, we're I mean, to see this list, to think that it all came out in the same calendar year is pretty amazing. And then you add horror to that sci-fi, fantasy, and horror from 1984. Oh, yeah. I mean, genre fans should just be thrilled to death with this year. It's a big cult classic here, definitely, absolutely. There's a and, lot, of, especially and, here at this convention. There's a lot of stuff here that, that you see people cosplaying yeah. characters from these movies here at DragonCon. And so, yeah, definitely a big year for that. Yeah, and you, as you were speaking to your point of how it launched a lot of franchises, I mean, I'll just go ahead and name them. There's four that come right to mind. Right, but, pause, pause. Hold it, hold it, hold it. I want to I I follow up before you go to the list. Okay. Because um, I want you to do that, but I want to say this, because you read a very good point there, and I hadn't thought about it. I've been looking at it <coughs> back. Like, well, here's where we are now. Look back at it. In 1984, this was new getting this many. I mean, we'd had two or three big things maybe, you know, yeah. after after Empire Strikes Back in 80, I guess you start getting, you know, Raiders and Blade Runner and stuff like that. But yeah, coming from the perspective of being in 1984, it was kind of like opening in, the, the tunnel opens out, you know what I mean, into this big world. So I, I, I wanted to point that out that I think that is a very valid point I hadn't considered. Now, go ahead. Well, I think, I think too, it also proves that 82 wasn't a fluke. Of big of yeah. year of big movies, eighty three had a lot of good movies. Eighty four, it 
we really seem to be ramping them up. And this was a very, you know, in the 80s, too, this was a very prosperous time, you know. Uh, I mean, you know, I don't know how to say that, well, but it seemed like they the studios were, had more money to throw no, at things. Sure. Yeah. It was hey, very great. Man, everybody's rolling cash, right? Dynasty mm-hmm. and well, I would say, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, there's some exceptions, but yeah, I, mean, I was 13. I, I was 13. I wasn't rolling in anything. Right. <laughs> I'm strong. Well, I mean, I haven't thought this through. Maybe I'm wrong here, but it's probably an indication that it was a, it was with Star Wars or particularly Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark that the geeks started taking over the box office. Mm-hmm. So yeah. you start, you start yeah. seeing more projects greenlit more right. projects in the top 10 for its year for the box office yeah. that are going to appeal to folks like us. And it took, you know, CGI and special effects technology for the superheroes to take over. But, you know, if they could have done those back in the eighties, they would have, but. Oh yeah. Yeah. But yeah, suddenly so, the studios are going, Oh my goodness, there's money in this. Right. And, so and they're, one pour, re- they're pouring a lot into it. So one reason I've enjoyed delving into eighties movies the last few years is it's refreshing to look back at the pre CGI era so I, I would say modern CGI era was ushered in with the one-two punch of Jurassic, uh, Terminator 2 and Jurassic Park. And so you look at movies before that, and it's just a different realm of filmmaking. And it's, to me, you know, overindulging on MCU and all that kind of stuff, it's nice to be able to, like, look back at more practical effects and, and, and practical stunts in particular. Uh, but to get back to naming this, the successful franchises that had their start in 1984, uh, you could say... Beverly Hills Cop, Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. Ghostbusters has given birth to a huge fandom, uh, Terminator, and I had one more. Let me look at my list here. Uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Yeah. And, yep. and there were other movies that also started in 84 that had multiple sequels, but I wouldn't necessarily brag about them. Like, uh, no, those those are all still going on today. Yeah. In some yeah, but I'm, there's also like Mission Impossible, Children of the Corn. They all started in 84 and all had and lived for a while with multiple in Revenge of the Nerds. All had multiple sequels of right. varying quality. Yeah, yeah. Big, yeah. Barely been touching on any of my favorites either so far. So <laughs> oh, I know. The, oh, I uh, have you, have you scratched the surface. The other thing about uh, that this year is this is the year of PG thirteen. Oh, yes. yes, this is the year oh. where uh, you know uh, the movies are getting a little bit more graphic for PG, and the parents are. A little bit of pushback. So uh, I think exactly. Temple of Doom was really the one that was like, no, no, this, we want kids to see this, but we also want to let Spielberg be able to like take someone's heart out. So, uh, <laughs> you know, it was, it was like, it was kind of one of those things. Steven really wants this scene, but we really need to sell this to kids. How can we do it? Let's create a new code. Well, that's exactly right. Dawn, though, right. It was Red Dawn that was, that actually got out first, I believe. I yeah, so, so, yeah. So I believe you say that PG 13 was on like Red Dawn. <laughs> it was uh, so 1984 introduced the problem and the solution because yeah. it was it was t- it was Temple of Doom and Gremlins that gave us the need yeah, for Gremlins the PG-13. Yeah. They were the two movies that drove that 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 change. They were both 84 movies, and then before the year was over, we had Red Dawn debuted this the rating, and the second movie was um, Dreamscape. All oh, that's that's yeah. coming up. That'll be mentioned. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. Enough of this formality. Let's get on with our favorites. We've <laughs> each been tasked with the job of naming five absolute favorites from 1984. 
and five overlooked gems that maybe are not in your top five, but you just want to let people know they exist. And it was that year also. So let's go ahead. I'm going to go around this. Let's go counterclockwise. I'm going to start with Bobby. Bobby, okay. what are your five favorites for this year? Um, well, I mean, we've already talked about several of them. This, you know, Beverly Hills Cop is certainly uh, one of them that I can still go back and watch today. Ghostbusters, of course, you know, is a biggie. Um, I'm also a huge fan of Romancing the Stone, yeah. which uh, premiered in this year. And then, of course, going back to, you know, with uh, Indiana Jones and Star Trek returning. Uh, those are probably the ones that I go back and rewatch the most. So those would be my, my top five, but there's a lot of good movies. There's a lot of good movies in this year that, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, um, do you want to do the overlook now or do you want to come back to those? Well, what do you think? Let's let's do the five favorites and we'll come back. Okay. Let's do it that way. What are your, what are your five favorites and why? Uh, my five favorites are, um, and one of these is one that I didn't see that same year. Uh, we'll start with that one, which, uh, ends up being, um, this is Spinal Tap. Uh, I didn't see that one when it was released in the theater, but I saw that, um, you know, after a video, once it became a huge thing. And, uh, it is today still one of the best documentary, faux documentaries that's ever been made. Uh, uh, um, Terminator is also on my Mm -hmm. list as well. Um, it's hard to, you can't overlook that one. Um, then I'm going to go a little different. Uh, 16 candles is one of my favorite movies. Uh, it's probably one that really benefited from the PG 13 thing as well. (laughs) Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's one I can watch over and over again. Uh, the natural gets me all every time I watch it. I'm a baseball guy and it's one of my favorite baseball movies of all time. Uh, it's a great movie with Robert Redford. And last but certainly not least on my list is Purple Rain. Uh, uh, I'm a huge Prince fan. Was before this movie came out, and this movie just exploded. And uh, again, it's another one that benefited. Well, no, this one was R. This one, there's no hiding behind PG 13 on this one. Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Very good. All right. All right. Uh, so we to David, five favorites. So my five, my five favorites would be Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom. Um, I don't know if we want to get into explanations of each of these, but I Let's defend that. Minutes for now and then we'll. Okay. Well, I have uh, Star Trek three search for Spock. I have Ghostbusters and I have Red Dawn and all of those uh, Ghostbusters to a lesser extent, but the other three, I've kind of have always rewatched. They've always kind of been in my rotation all these years. And then Ghostbusters is a step below that. And then there was a, my, my fifth one I'll name is one that I haven't, I didn't watch for 30 something years. And, and I just watched it again recently last year and was really surprised at how much I enjoyed it, how much I remembered it and what fond memories it brought back as a 13 year old Bobby in 1984. And that's actually Karate Kid. I was surprised and heartwarmed by how much I enjoy that movie and recalling everything that went with it in 1984. So I put all five of those in my favorite category. That's <laughs> all I remember from that movie. Wax I don't on. know if Karate Kid was on your franchise list, but that's another one that started yeah. then. And it's still, yeah. Yeah, still, still relevant today. Still in right. yep. Yeah. They had three movies in just the eighties. Yeah. And then yeah. that Cobra Kai series is yeah. as hot yeah, as were, anything. Exactly. Right. Yeah. There were three movies <laughs> then there was a spinoff movie. 
And then, yeah, and then now th- three or four seasons of Cobra Kai. So, yeah, not mm-hmm. mention all of his appearances in Legion of Superheroes. Oh, wait, it's a different <laughs> <fight. Anyway>. um, <laughs> yeah. every time I see Legion, I'm like, wait a minute, why is Ralph Macchio doing it here? And then Ralph <laughs> Macchio might have written it, and then I get really confused. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> wheels within wheels, man. But anyway, here's my top five. So, let me tell you why you all are wrong. Uh, well, actually, no, some of you had these. I think Mike and I were very, I think it was Mike and I were very close here. I have them in order. Number one, but well, no, I go backwards. My number five is actually a tie because I can't decide between these two. It's Revenge of the Nerds, Beverly Hills Cop. Neither one of them is one of my, one of my like absolute favorite movies. But in terms of all the movies that came out in 84, Revenge of the Nerds and Beverly Hills Cop are two kind of comedy movies that I did watch a lot back in the 80s. I watched those over and over with my high school friends, and we loved them over and over and over. Just had a great time. That's tie for number five. Number four is The Terminator. I'm not a huge Terminator fan, and I don't I don't love either of the first two, even though the first two are obviously the best, but I think it's important, and I think it's very entertaining, and I think you know Cameron made it on like a budget of about 12 bucks, and mm. it looks like a big budget, you know, it still holds up, so give that. My number three, this is Spinal Tap. You're exactly right, Mike. It is the greatest fake documentary ever. There have been a lot that have tried, but nobody just... Every moment, every scene, every utterance in that movie has me on the floor. You're, I mean, we're in danger. We're in danger of a giant, uh, of a, uh, of a, uh, of a Celtic um, monolith being crushed by dwarfs. <laughs> you can't beat that. It's so great. Number two, 2010. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> I love 2010. I, I, I love 2001 in a different way, but I adore 2010 because I'm an answers guy. 2001 asks a bunch of questions. 2010 gives me some answers. Not everybody liked those answers. I don't care. I got answers. <laughs> Mark, Mark Buskett and I did a review of both these movies together. We concluded that, that I like it because I like to know answers, even if they're stupid answers. And my number one movie from 1984 is the one that I can never find in the alphabetical listing because I always look under the B's and it's listed under the A's for the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai across the eighth dimension. That's a weird that movie. Is, oh, it's so great. It's just, it's everything about it is exactly what I wanted in 1984 when I was, what, 16 and I wanted a cool group of guys running around with, with a girlfriend and they're playing in a rock band and they're fighting aliens and they're just everything. It's just so good. It's so perfect. It's a perfect movie. So those are my five. You want to, um, do we have any, uh, thoughts before we go into our five overlook gyms? No, I got pretty, yeah. Nobody's going to say I'm insane or anybody else is crazy for picking a certain thing or how dare you. Oh, you mean on this topic or just in general? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, man, you know, everybody loves what they love, right? You're casting a wide net here, man. <laughs> I got the eject button here I can push. I do have control of this vehicle. Man, there's one omission from your top five I'm surprised didn't make it. But I don't know if you want me to name it now. We might discuss it later. I think we probably will. I'm going to do my five overlook gyms in a minute. It might be okay. on there. And then I've got actually got a few noteworthy. I'm just going to run through if we have time. So it okay. something you might too. So we'll, let's, let's see what happens. All right. Okay. Let's get into our overlook gyms. Let's go back the other way. David, five overlook gyms that maybe aren't your five favorite, but people need to know it came out this year. Okay. Well, what I did is I tried to, it's hard to find stuff that I felt were hidden gyms because okay. the stuff that makes 84 good, 
there's nothing hidden about him. Everybody knows about these awesome movies. So I tried Fair to enough. look at scratch the surface and find some that were maybe a little more obscure that kind of got lost in the noise. And I only was able to come up with five, I mean four. So in the interest of being quick and succinct here and saving some time, I'll give you four. So okay. the first one I don't is, uh, well, I'll, I'll kind of go, I'll kind of go from bottom to top here. So okay. the first one is a big dumb action movie that kind of sets the template for eighties, action movies, big guys and big guns missing in action with Chuck Norris came out in 1984. Okay. So, that, so here's, here's what's funny. That predates Rambo first blood part two. Mm-hmm. It predates commando, it, all those kind of things, but it's simultaneously a precursor and a ripoff because what the canon, there was a treatment for Rambo part two that had been floating around Hollywood since 83 written by James Cameron and the canon group got, got whiff of that. And they rushed out not one, but two missing in action movies to theaters before Rambo part two could get made. That's Hollywood right there in a nutshell. Well, that's Canon group. It was also, you know, it's a a big dumb action movie, but it's one of Chuck Norris's biggest hits. And, um, and it kind of does kind of give you the cliche look of an action movie of the eighties. So there's that, uh, if you care about that sort of thing, it's on the bottom of my list. So the next one I have is razor's edge, which is Bill Murray's first dramatic role. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's set in World War One. He plays an ambulance driver. He really it was a passion project for him. He really wanted to get this movie made. Nobody he wrote it. it. He wrote it, didn't he? I think he was involved in the writing yeah. of it. Oh, I can tell you. That, well, I'll get to that in a second. But um, no studio wanted to make the deal with him until Dan Aykroyd gave him the idea of negotiating with Columbia and said, "Hey, look, I'll do Ghostbusters for you if you'll let me do Razor's Edge." So yeah. that's how they got that deal done. He shot Razor's Edge first. And then immediately reported to set for Ghostbusters, but uh, what what's kind of cool about Razor's Edge? Not only is it his first dramatic role, and we've learned that Bill Murray is awesome at that, but um, he did write it. And there's a speech that his character gives in the movie that Bill Murray wrote it as a farewell speech to John Belushi, who had just recently died. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Um, so the the next one I have on my list is The Cotton Club. Also mm. from 1984, this is Francis Ford Coppola writing and directing. It deals with the mob, but it's in 1930s Harlem in a jazz club where you have black performers with white customers and the mob is all involved. It's a starring vehicle for Gregory Hines. It actually has his brother in it playing his brother, uh, Maurice Hines. And so you get the period piece, 1930s. It's got a lot of the same trappings as uh, Harlem Nights that came out a few years later. But this is like the Francis Ford Coppola uh, treatment of that. And it's got everybody from Richard Gere to Fred Gwynn. And it's it's pretty cool for what it is. So, uh, And the last one I'm going to mention is Cloak and Dagger. Um, This is the one that starts, what's his name, Henry Thomas uh, Mm -hmm. from E.T. So. What's cool about this movie, first of all, you know, if you're the same age as that actor in 1984, you're eating this movie up. It's, it's like, you know, awesome kids fantasy getting wrapped up in a real life espionage plot. Um, it's based on a short story that was written like in the 1940s called The Boy Who and Murder. And this short story was adapted to film in 1949 in a movie called The Window. And so Tom Holland, okay, not that Tom Holland, not Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the writer and director of the 80s, Tom Holland, uh, r- uh, adapted The Boy Who Cried Murder, which had already been adapted once into the 1949 movie. He adapted it again to Cloak and Dagger in 1984. And in turn, in doing the script, 
he was inspired with the idea for Fright Night. So, which is kind of similar, which you, you have a fan who gets wrapped up in a real life plot. Nobody believes him because he thinks it's just this losing kind of blurring lines with fandom and reality. So this kind of the parallel there with what happens in Cloak and Dagger and in Fright Night, both by Tom Holland. So, uh, you know, don't sleep on that one. Those are my four. So you got miss, Missing in Action, eh, Razor's Edge, Cotton Club, and Cloak and Dagger. All right. All right. So uh, let's see. Mike, you want to give us your, your hidden gems? Yes. Uh, my hidden gems uh, are as follows. Uh, one of them is uh, probably one of my, uh, the second funniest movie I found this year. And these are movies that I don't find a lot of people talk enough about. Uh, that's the way I determined a hidden gem. It's like, yeah, in the no, some people really know these movies, but I don't really see them getting the, uh, you know, Blu-ray rest restoration treatment. And and I think uh, they're they're really good movies that uh, deserve to be seen um, and and are kind of forgotten about now. And this one is a comedy. Um, it's uh, it's top secret. Um, and yeah. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, the, the Abram Zucker, uh, uh, yes, exactly. The Abram Zuckers, uh, that did airplane. Those are, those are great. I love those movies a lot. Um, but this one they're you know, they're taking a stab at another genre, which is more near and dear to my heart. It's more action. It's more war. They, they take on war movies, musicals, Elvis movies. Like, it's just like, it's really fun. Um, you know, you've got a great cameo in there from uh, Peter Cushing, as you just referenced, um, as well as just uh, a lot of other uh, fun moments to it. And I think it still is funny. I, you know, I watched it uh, not too long ago. Um, on a, on a pendulum, swinging the pendulum the way the other way, uh, another hidden gem uh, I find is Blood Simple. Uh, this is the first, I think, feature movie by the Coens. And uh, it is, uh, you know, for those people who like myself, like film noir, it is like a, a the 80s side of have this sort of uh, re uh, revision of the film noir movement because uh, you have this and in this this uh, year, I think you have Buddy du Body Double as well. And uh, both of those kind of like or Body Heat. Is that what one of no, them? Is, okay. Body is is kind of in this like this genre kind of starts back up again here in the eighties and it really works. Um, it's a very, like I just watched blood simple like a month or so ago and it still holds up. It's still intriguing. And, uh, and I, and, you know, a lot of people talk about a lot of the other Cohen movies, but I don't feel like their first one gets enough attention. Um, the other one is actually getting a lot of attention now because it's available, I think on Netflix and that's streets of fire. Uh, it's a fun flick. Um, uh, and well cast, uh, William Defoe is amazingly campy in it. Um, and, uh, it's got some great music, a very, very awesome soundtrack. To we it. all hear the song in our head right now. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> the Dan Hartman song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, it's been on my mind recently cause, uh, the recent loss of Jim Steinman who contributed a couple of songs to it as well. Um, but in and of itself, I think a lot of people are discovering this on Netflix now, and I see that a lot of people are like, hey, this is really kind of cool. And then two other movies that are not genre movies, but I think that that they should get attention just because of the performances in them. Two um, amazing actors in each one of these movies, and one is uh, The Bounty, which is a remake of you know Mutiny on the Bounty, which is, this is like the third or fourth remake that Hollywood's done, but I think it's one of the best. Uh, Anthony Hopkins and Mel... Gibson are just amazing in it. The rest of the cast is great. It's beautifully shot. Um, I think it's uh, it's it's really solid. And then 
Amadeus, which won all the awards, but yet I still don't hear a lot of people talking about it to this day. And to me, like it is an epic movie of an epic of a, a really amazing battle between these two musicians. And uh, yeah, it's not, it, you know, it's based a little bit on real life, but just like a lot of the music of the time, it's romanticized. So uh, I like it a lot. So those are ones that I, I feel like uh, don't get enough attention. That's good. Yeah. Bobby, if you, you haven't done. Yeah. I've got someone that I think they get attention in certain circles. Cause if you look at the, if you look at the movies of 1984, this was like most of these I saw, these were weekend TNT kind of things growing up for me, you know, cause we did, we weren't, a bit, we weren't a big movie theater going family. So most of these I ended up seeing, you know, on when with cable. So these were very weekend things. And uh, so a lot of these weren't, I don't know if they were huge hits or not somewhere, but it seemed like, you know, outside of people like us here at at the con that like these sort of things, uh, I don't think they, they reached as far outside of that, like the never ending story, which is, you know, for those of us of a certain age, that that's probably the first time we bawled crocodile tears watching a sci-fi movie. Um, Or at least it probably was for me. Um, you know, so that, so that's a good one. This was also a banner year for the Muppets with Muppets take Manhattan, mm-hmm. which is an my absolutely wife, just fantastic movie. Every time um, I watch a movie, my wife suggests we could watch a Muppet movie. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> this was all, can't all the Muppets. Yeah. This was also a year too with, uh, with, uh, it was a big year for, for Tom Hanks before Tom Hanks started doing all these award-winning movies where he does stuff like splash, uh, which was a, a, a just a fun family-friendly movie uh, with uh, Tom and uh, Daryl Hannah as, and as the it, mermaid. And finished in the top 10 for the year. Yeah. Yeah. Splash is a big moment, a big movie for his career, because I think mm-hmm. it's that transitional movie, right? Yeah. Where he, he goes a, he from had, being comedy to... Yeah, from just comedy to... to it, the, yeah, because there's a... He had a second movie that year. It's where the name Madison comes from. There are all kinds of women in the country and the world now named Madison. Before this movie, there were none. <laughs> it's true. No. None. You have that. Okay. okay. Um, a, another one, just for the the cheat, you know, it, it's it's not a super, you know, great. I don't think it's held up as well. And I know that's actually one of our questions. But we did get Supergirl in this year, mm-hmm. which at the time, you know, we were excited to get any superhero movie we were hoping it would be as good as superman it was not (laughs) but there was still something cool about the fact that we had another superhero movie and which at the time was you know we're we're inundated with them today uh back in the 80s getting a superhero movie was not the norm um so so that one and then the other one i'd like to throw in was uh was a big hit but I feel feel should be mentioned gremlins. Oh yeah. 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 For sure. Uh, my turn. Let me see. I, my five, I've got a little list here of noteworthy that we can hit on it. Uh, let me actually do this because I can. Um, the it's ones your that show. I, it is. I'm, I'm going to do this um, just very quickly. These are movies that I don't think have been mentioned at all, and they're not my five hidden gems, but people need to know they came out this year. You said Splash, done. Johnny Dangerously. Mm-hmm. Runaway, Gene Simmons, a villain of sci-fi with, with Maggie P.I. 
little robots. Got it, got it. Uh, Dune. Dune came out this year. It's horrible, but it looks great. Okay, so we got that noteworthy. We talked about Purple Rain. Somebody mentioned Romancing the Stone, 16 Candles. We had a John Hughes movie. Got to mention John Hughes movie. And then you had two others Greystoke, The Legend of Tarzan, with uh, Highlander playing Tarzan, and Against All Odds, which had the Phil Collins song that became so iconic, right? So, mm-hmm. all right, those are all noteworthy. They're not my hidden gems. That's why I blew through them. Here are my five overlooked gems. You actually mentioned Brian De Palma's Body Double. That movie is completely forgotten today. I must have watched that thing six times in the 80s. You naughty boy. Oh, man. I go and VHS. I go down to a movie gallery or whatever, you know, movie shop in Auburn or Sylacauga, and I would get Body Double. I'm like, oh, this is so cool. It was just action-packed. It's got mystery. It's a little naughty. Yeah, absolutely. It's a very, very entertaining De Palma movie. Um, dream yes, kids, this was pre-internet. This is how we. Got yeah, it. yeah. <laughs> this is how we got our naughty at the time. Yeah, this is how we did it. Um, Dreamscape. Somebody mentioned that, but that's based on a Roger Zelazny story. But he didn't like the script, so he didn't have his name included on it. It's based, I think, on the Dream Master, He Who Shapes. Uh, but that is a really cool one that has just totally been forgotten. Nobody ever mentions it anymore. You said Tom Hanks was in two movies: Splash and Bachelor Party. Bachelor party. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't do movies like that after this. This okay. is where he kind of takes that turn. Mm-hmm. You don't hear him talking about, I got a 16 year old Asian girl. I have my eye on. No, you don't hear jokes like that out of Tom Hanks anymore after 1984. And then blame it on Rio, which has a very inappropriate relationship with um, Michael Caine and some model girl in, in Rio. That's, that's cute. I watched that a couple of times and my hiddenest, Overlooked Hidden Gym, Making the Grade. This was Animal House ripoff number one, <laughs> but I loved it. Oh, wow. It was so funny. Making the Grade, it's, 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 in, that, it's in that Revenge of the Nerds or um, Animal House, you know, wacky antics of the kids on the college campus that are getting away with stuff and the dean is out to get them and everything. I have a completely different perspective on that today, obviously. But uh, yeah, that's um, but that's uh, that's a really good one that I never hear anybody. And it was supposed it's one of those movies like it was one of those movies like Buckaroo Banzai that promised a sequel in the credits, and I don't think we ever got it. That way, I'm going to go ahead. We're going to talk about Apex Mountain, and I'm going to forget this. Apex Mountain for different things. 1984 was Apex Mountain for movies promising sequels in the credits and then never getting them. <laughs> I, I can name a second one. Yeah. 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 I can name there another one. Yeah. What is what is it? Conan the Destroyer. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. See yep. three. Yeah. <laughs> wow. They they promised us uh, you know, King Conan. We never got it. They're still promising us King Conan. I'm, yeah. <laughs> he's still alive. It's just like that movie. Every year, that movie is more of King Conan sitting in a chair telling the story and less of him. <laughs> when I was young, I did this. And then you have Momoa or somebody, you know, although Momoa's getting too old to play Conan too now. <laughs> Unbelievable. All right. All right. So let's go up here. Let's get to the categories we've got here, I believe. Um, uh, by the way, I have never seen Footloose and I have never seen Streets of Fire. Well, I have never I have seen, seen Bowdy, and I have never seen Once Upon a Time in America. That's four big movies from this year. I don't know how. I've never seen them. Still, and Footloose I, is a feel-good. 
Footloose is a feel good. I, I didn't like the song. I don't like Kevin Bacon. Yeah. So there you go. Um, I have two <laughs> very overrated Does anybody want to throw out an overrated? I've got two overrated, two overrated movies from this year. I got to mention Ghostbusters never worked for me. I didn't like it. I saw it one time in the theater the weekend it came out and I'm like, nah, it didn't work. And Indiana Jones too. I just like, nah, you know, didn't care for it. So At yellow card. I have to, I have to, <laughs> I have to throw a flag on Temple of Doom. I, I'll defend that movie. There you uh, go. All right. All right. I'm sure. I know everybody else likes it. It's, it is considered the redheaded stepchild of the Indiana Jones movies, though. Sure. Yeah, yeah, it, I, was, it was. Yeah, it was. <laughs> yeah. Until yeah, Kane yeah, with yeah, Skull said, hold my beer. Yeah, yeah, wow. Yeah, and, and, yeah. Well, but, but, but also, too, just in terms of tone, they tried to go darker. and They did. You know, it lost a lot of the fun that the that certainly the original had. Yeah, I, I would. Uh, I think I, I'll readily admit that it's easily the third best Indiana Jones movie. It doesn't. If you're going to watch one Indiana Jones movie, it's never going to be that one. Um, yeah. But uh, the only thing I don't like about it really is Willie Scott character just screams way too much. It just gets a little too shrill and repetitive, mm. and I just wish that would stop. But mm. uh, what I do like about it is from the moment she is taken through the secret compartment in the bedroom wall all the way to when he climbs up the top of the cliff at the end of the movie and has the stone, that entire breadth right there is all in real time. And yeah. so, and so it's action packed and it's in real time. And I love that. I think that is very cool. I don't, I don't know if I can name another movie other than the continuous take type movies that, mm -hmm. that can give you that. Um, nice. And the other, the other thing that I think is cool is that at the end of the movie, it totally ties into uh, Gunga Din. Gunga Din. So it, it incorporates that into the uh, Indiana Jones cinematic universe. So I, I just, I find it cool. So I, it's enough for me to like the movie more than most people do, but yeah, but uh, I agree. It's in third place. Mike, you had something. I'm sorry. No, I'm just, uh, I'm, I'm, it's not one of my favorites. So I, less, I, the less said about it, the better we can move on. I'll just, I'll, just say this. I'll just say this. I respect that they tried to go in a different direction. And not do the same thing over again, because I did think the third one was kind of like Return of the Jedi, going back and trying to recreate the first one again. Well, no, let me let me look at it this way. So the MacGuffins of the movies, if you consider them chronologically, because Temple of Doom is a prequel, it's okay. Pre so that's like a pre-Judeo-Christian pagan type MacGuffin okay. plot, right? All right, all right. And then Raiders of the Lost Ark is Old Testament with the Ark of the Covenant, yeah, and yeah. then Crusade is Christian or New Testament. So there's a progression there with, with uh, you know, pagan, Old oh. Testament, New Testament. So all right, Which, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't see the fourth one. Thank God. Is it Scientology? It's it's New Age. It's aliens. It's futuristic. It's post-Christian. Right. You know? <laughs> the progression. Scientology, man. So, Ron shows look, up and starts shelling them with. I, I could rant for an hour. What's wrong with the Crystal Skull? But the but but Let's move on. Mike was right. Moving on. Moving on. All right. <laughs> what is the single now this doesn't say the best i'm not saying what was the best but which one of the 1984 movies that we've talked about or not could you just sit down and watch over and over and never get tired of it let's start with mike this time uh as far my favorites there are uh, you know they're all in my favorites the three that i watch that i have watched over and over and over again and i can never like get tired of them are 16 candles this is spinal tap and purple rain uh, obviously, 16 Candles and This is Spinal Tap have 
uh, the comedic advantage, right? There's a joke every, you know, five minutes, if that, you know, like they, and then Purple Rain is just one big long music video. So, like, there's just these, there's elements to both of those, mo all those movies that make it so enjoyable to just sit down and watch it whenever. And, uh, you know, they, they just seem to, I never get tired of them. Yeah. Bobby, most, uh, you're, uh, most rewatchable. Uh, the ones that if I ever like am flipping through channels and they're on one of the cable channels and, and I pass it, I will stop. Certainly Star Trek three search for Spock. We haven't really talked about that one. Yeah, yeah that's right. That one. I, if, if I ever run across it, I'll, I'll watch it. Um, uh, Ghostbusters, Beverly Hills Cop and Romancing the Stone. If, if I run across any of those four, I would probably stop and, yeah. and watch. We're throwing around monsters of movies. I mean, these are all huge. These all, <laughs> let's just remember, these are all from one year. So, yeah. Yeah. And even though, even though Ghostbusters wasn't on my list, it probably would be number like six or seven, like in my top ten or whatever. It makes my top ten, and that one is also something I feel like you can watch at any like it, it doesn't get tiresome either. Yeah. yeah, so Ghostbusters is not my favorite, but it would be my what I consider the most rewatchable. Like yeah. the ones I've watched the most in reality have been Indiana Jones, Star Trek, and Red Dawn. Um, but as far as like a casual viewing, like oh, I stumble across it on TV and I'm going to watch this, I think it needs to be something a little bit lighter in tone, you know, to have that kind of like easy, just whimsical decision to just spur the moment. Let's watch this, and I think Ghostbusters fits that bill. So I wouldn't call it my favorite of 84, but it's, I would say exactly. most, re most rewatchable. That's what I'm saying. Well, for me, I think there's two different, two different answers here. Because back in the day, the, the, the two I rewatched the most were probably Beverly Hills Cop and The Terminator. Mm -hmm. Just that's what my friends and I would get at the rental store, get it on VHS and watch it. We always had a good time with those. But honestly, the last 10, 20 years, having them on my Plex server, having everything at my fingertips, anytime I want to watch anything, it's right there. It's Buckaroo Banzai in 2010. I mean, mm -hmm. those two, I mean, I've, Mira and I have watched Buckaroo Banzai two or three times together. Um, I've, I've watched 2010 several times in the last couple of years. It's just, um, yeah, I never get tired of either one of those. Spinal Tap would be there, um, but I watched it again. It's like, it's like Beverly Hills Cop. I watched it so many times back then that I haven't been in a hurry to go back and watch it again. Right, right. right. I, I haven't watched Beverly Hills Cop in 30 years because I could, I'm, I remember the whole movie. I don't, mm -hmm. you know. So, because I watch it so many times, that's the danger of rewatching is is you you burn them into your brain and you can never watch them again because you know it too well. Well, well, that's oddly enough, that's how I saw uh, Beverly Hills Cop this year. One of the cable channels ran all three of them, and I just happened to be flipping channels right as it started. And the next thing I know, I've watched two of them, and then I was like, "I'm good. I don't need to see the third one. <laughs> I'm good." Quentin Tarantino, I was listening to a podcast just today, yesterday about Quentin Tarantino. He made me go back and rewatch Unstoppable. Just a real quick little story. And the train, the runaway train movie. And I'd forgotten that it was even good. I saw it, you know, eight, nine years ago. And he said he watched it like five times. And then we decided to do the podcast on, he watched it again. He's like, I don't really want to watch this again. I've already watched it like five times, but I need to watch it for the podcast. He said, I got five minutes into it. And I was just like, you know, it's that good. And that's what we're talking about, a rewatchable movies, one you even think you don't want to watch, but when it comes on, mm -hmm. you just drop everything. All right, I got to watch this. I got to see this, yeah. right? So. And I, I and think I agree with you, too. I would probably add Terminator to that list. I don't know why I keep forgetting it, but Terminator's one, too, that kind of, it just grabs you. Oh, yeah. And, over and over and over, for sure. Yeah. So so which 84 movie has aged the best and which one has aged the worst? Let's just knock these both out here together. Which one of these movies from this year do you look at and go, man, that could have come out last week. You know, it just really holds up. And which one do you go, ooh, that 
that didn't that didn't get, go well. Um, I'm sorry, around the other way around, yeah. Okay, so uh, I have three contenders for the what's aged the best. So I think what you have to do for something to age well, it's probably going to be something that does not rely on special effects very much because <laughs> that's just going to kind of, you know, deteriorate over time, I guess. But um, so, well, first of all, going up from the bottom, 1984, because it just, the movie 1984, based on George Orwell's book, <laughs> came out in December, I think. And, um, you know, it's, there are days where I feel like we're getting more closer, you know, we're getting closer and closer to Orwell Orwell's vision. So uh, it seems like it's aging better as the years go by, but then you've but got, not, yeah, but not for the right reasons. But, yeah, no, I'm not saying that at all. No. Uh, so next would be Amadeus because it's a period piece. And if you're, uh, what hurts a lot of these movies for aging well is that they become incidental or accidental time capsules for the mm-hmm. for the 80s they're just a little too 80s so if you look at period pieces that were already trying to capture a different era that's going to hold up a little bit better so and amadeus of course won all the major awards and it's it's one of my favorite too it just doesn't go in there in my you know it's not a genre movie so um but the one that i will say holds the best mike spinal tap um <laughs> because it has an old look kind of from the beginning, you know, and it, it's, uh, it captures an, uh, supposedly, you know, it seems to capture an era of music. That's, that's already, that's already a part of our past anyway. So to see a documentary that kind of digs into that past, I think it, it helps it be timeless and evergreen. So I'll put spinal tap as having aged the best. And now for aging the worst, I look at special effects and unfortunately, Arnold comes out uh, the loser for 1984 when it comes to practical effects that don't hold up very well. Because uh, the second place finish is going to be Conan the Destroyer. Um, uh, I, I think everybody will agree that Conan the Barbarian is a better movie. But oh, yeah. re- the reason I like Conan the Destroyer is because it's more of a team movie. It's like a D&D adventure party, you know. Sure. And um, I think didn't, Roy Thomas was involved in writing it. Is that yeah. right? And, yes. and Jerry Conway, but uh, but you know the practical creature effects they don't really hold up very well at all. So to to but Arnold tops himself because now don't get mad at me. I love Terminator. I love the first Terminator movie. It's a very smart sci-fi action movie. But let's be real, the effects at the end with the fake face and the head and the cyborg stuff coming out, it, it's it's really does not age well. So I'm going to put Terminator as having not has having aged the worst in certain ways. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah. Right, just absolutely. in terms of those practical effects. I lost track. Mike, is it you, your turn now? Uh, I can go. Uh, sure. Um, as far as uh, the movie that's aged the best, uh, David lives up to his names. He's absolutely right. Uh, which is, uh, this is spinal tap. Um, that's the one that immediately came to mind. And it's, it's because the uh, documentary style is still like one that people can relate to. Uh, the, even though it's a band, it's a hair metal band, which is not really, you know, out there now, but I mean, I think still the, the dumb musicians and the, the, the trappings of rock and roll and all that sort of thing still are applicable. And I think it's still, I, I just find it holds up, I think. Um, whereas, uh, some of the other movies, um, the ones that don't hold up very well, uh, I think are maybe for, we'll say problematic reasons uh, and uh, or people just don't understand. I recently, I think last year 
was on a uh, podcast where we talked about Red Dawn. So I saw it for the first time in in all in like since I since I saw it in the theater, and I, I just think that people today just wouldn't get it. Like we, it was something that at the time we thought was highly possible improbable right and it would play out something like this whereas you watch it now and you're like oh this is ridiculous why did we ever think that this would this would this would you know i mean it's a fun movie don't get me wrong but and it's got a heck of a cast but as far as being actual something that could happen it's just it's ridiculous and i don't care when i was 13 i wanted to grab a crossbow no, and head to the woods absolutely, absolutely. we were all there we're like man we could be invaded like it just it felt so and i don't think people today could get that like they just wouldn't get it um no. and the other two are two comedies that we know have have become problematic one is 16 candles unfortunately with some of the the things that are happening in that movie and revenge of the nerds there's some moments in there where yeah. you're like you watch it and you're like, oh, that's that's something <laughs> that's you could, you couldn't do that now. Yeah, we could do that now. <sighs> that is right. That is right, Bobby. Um, well, oddly enough, I'm going to disagree. I, I think Terminator holds up very well. You know, as you you know, I think it. You know, because compared to some of the Terminators that are newer, the effects <laughs> in the first one look about the same in many <laughs> many respects. So I I, I can't ding them for that. Um, I also think, I mean, you know, in, in terms of of the story and rewatchability, Ghostbusters, I think, holds up well. I mean, yes, obviously they can do some better special effects now, but there's but nothing in there makes me just go, oh, that's crap, and turn it off, you know. Um, so I think those have have aged well. Um, as for the ones that have not aged well, as much as I love the the search for Spock. You know, there are some shots of the ships and stuff in there that are just, oh, you know, like like later movies have really just made the 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 ship scenes and the ship battles. You know, certainly as as hurt as much as it hurt and emotional as it was to watch the Enterprise blow up. Yeah, you know, in in the in Star Trek Three, we have since seen them destroy ships in a much grander fashion. Um, so I don't think those have held up quite as well. But um, it was emotionally impactful. Oh, yeah. It, it, it hurt. I, I, I mean, that it was, was a amazing. Deal. Yeah. It was amazing. <laughs> I was well, in the theater did. and I cried. And, and I didn't cry when Spock died in Wrath of Khan. Yeah. But I cried when the Enterprise blew up in, in, in <laughs> Star Trek because, 3. <laughs> because we, yeah, it was, it was like a home. It was like a second home for us almost. Yeah. We had spent so much, even though the movie version and the TV show version are technically two different ships we had spent we had spent a good chunk of our creative and imaginative lives on that ship and when it was gone yeah it was i was boohoo you know i I, where i was working that summer after we saw that movie i uh, I, a guy i was working with i said something about this the next one number four and he says there's not going to be a four they blew up the enterprise it's over (laughs) yeah he he was dead serious you know i'm like now, I, I may be in the minority, but I, I much prefer three over four. I, I never cared for the comedic turn that four took. Mm-hmm. But now, now uh, two is awesome. I, I, I'm with everybody on two, but I was devastated that they killed Spock. So when I'm 13 years old, I found out they're doing a sequel and Spock might be back. I mean, that blew my mind that there would be another movie. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm excited. I'm all I'm bought in. I'm right there. You know, and I I, I loved part three, stealing the Enterprise. You know, they're teaming That's back cool. up and stealing the Enterprise, and then it blows up, and they're 
fighting to save his kid and oh spot comes back I, love, I love the camaraderie of those characters too in that third one that yeah. you know <laughs> like the, the little jokes that they were making while they're stealing the enterprise <laughs> or things like that it's the kind of stuff you would have expected those characters to have done in the show you know like there's the yeah. you know why didn't you tell me this is what you're doing and that's what you get for missing staff meetings yeah <laughs> And, you know, but it was just so much, there was a lot of fun there. Yeah. Four, it gets a lot more comedic, Mm -hmm. but I think four was a good time for it because one, two, and three were very, you know, hard, kind of more hard hitting life and death scenarios. So I thought I I didn't mind the comedy of the fourth one. I thought it was a, it was time for them to take a little break and, and certainly remind people that Star Trek is not always an end of the earth scenario. Because some of the well, TV series episodes that are the best are hilarious. That's true. The, the first three movies were for Star Trek fans. The fourth one opened the door to everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that's why it did better. Wasn't necessarily a better movie. That's why it did better. I, 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 we, I got about, we got about eight minutes left. What? So I want to get in. Yes. Yeah, so oh, I want to no. <laughs> get in at least one more category. All right. We got to do Apex, right? I wait, let's do Apex Mountain. Let's do Apex Mountain. So, uh, David, start us out. What, what was the, here's the deal. What, who or what reached its all time high point in a movie from 1984? And we already said one, which was uh, sequels promised that we didn't deliver, they didn't mm-hmm. deliver on. Okay. Got? I've got four, and I'm not going to share all of them now because I, I don't want to risk stealing anyone's thunder. But if we have time, I'll come, I'll circle back to my other two. Okay. So I'll, I'll leave you with two right now. I hope I can do my other ones. So, first of all, 1984 was the year of the first Police Academy movie. So therefore, it is the apex of Police Academy movies. <laughs> all right? Doesn't get any better after that. It's all straight downhill. Um, but this is a Def Dave answer. Uh, the true apex for breakdance movies happened in 1984. So in May, you had Breakin', which actually opened the same day as 16 Candles and beat 16 Candles at the box office that opening weekend. Thank wow. you very much. And then in June, they came out with Beat Street, which to me was the best of the three that came out this year. It, and then in December of the same year, where the first movie came out in May, December gave us Break Into Electric Boogaloo. So a, 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 a title which has led to jokes that happened. <laughs> Absolutely. Where Not only was it the pinnacle for breakdancing <laughs> movies, but it's a pinnacle for sequel titles. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like, it, it, you don't go. <laughs> So, uh, so there was Wild Style in 1983, which is good too. None of it beats the best hip hop movie, which was Crush Groove in 1985. But it was not a breakdance movie, really. But I will give 1984 to breakdance movies. All right, there we go. All right, my oh, oh, um, I didn't do my uh, very quickly. I didn't do my what is the worst, what is the best. I always do. I, I host and I forget to do it myself. Very quickly, what is the best? You were right. Spinal Tap and Amadeus agreed. What is the worst? Dune, because a bad story, people could overlook it for the effects of the time. Now they both look aged and it just doesn't hold up at all. Bachelor Party, I'm pretty sure Tom Hanks would like to buy every copy of that and destroy it and pretend it never happened, even though it's a great movie. And 2010 actually has aged the worst, even though I love it, because it's about the Soviet Union and the United States in 2010. That right there by itself did not age very well. All right. um, Let's see. Uh, Bobby, Apex Mountain. Oh, oh, Mike, Mike's turn. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes. 
Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, you could have gone. Uh, it's okay. We're all friends here. Um, I think it's the apex because it's sort of the end of the era of the uh, teenage uh, sex comedies. Yeah. Revenge, Revenge of the Nerds, Hard Bodies, Bachelor Party come out here. And it's, oh, and, yeah. yeah, And it's a transition because 16 Candles takes that, that and says, you know what? We're going to make this more kid friendly and we're going to, we're going to start doing teenage movies that are funny, but they're not like sex comedies. They're PG, you know, uh, John Hughes starts a whole new um, genre in and of himself and he takes over. So the sex comedies are gone after that. But mm -hmm. uh, this, so this is the sort of the last gasp, the apex of, of that era. It is. That's good. That's good. Uh, who hasn't gone? Uh, oh, I have. Uh, I have two. Well, I had three. Uh, I was going to mention uh, Electric Boogaloo for the pop culture significance. Uh, the other two I'll have real quick was this was a big year for Eddie Murphy. It was mm -hmm. also a very big year because his career really. This may be Apex Mountain for, for Eddie Murphy. Yeah, this was the year. <laughs> I, uh, I don't he, think so. I think Eddie Murphy has, won 1984. Yeah, even Eddie Murphy has said. I was pop, you know, I was popular. Then Beverly Hills Cop came out and I became a movie star. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, he, he's even said that th that, that was kind of the thing that put him over the top. But I would also say it was a big year, and I'm surprised Mike didn't do this one. This was a big year for mermaids. This is true. <laughs> Splash and? Well, just Splash kind of kicked off like a mermaid craze it was around right. for a while which no, right no, no, no. okay all right I, so we got mermaids we got I, the little mermaid I, i'm thinking too much about sex comedies <laughs> <laughs> no and and actually mike that was where i was going too because you're right it i mean there were just so many i mean uh you named some like revenge of the nerds blame it on rio making the mm -hmm. great that's their party body double to a certain degree had some of that um, I guess all the odds was like middle age sex <laughs> had some of that going on. <laughs> <laughs> Stone was kind of had some of that going on. It Purple Rain had a little bit of that going on in it. I mean, um, you got Splash, little little less risque, but kind of the same idea. Um, Footloose, eh, but with but with preaching. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> there was just a lot of that kind of stuff going on that year, and I, I think that was that's the one I would that's the one I would go with too. Uh, so I have my, my other two Apex moments. Yes, sir. Okay, so uh, one is soundtrack-driven movies, and I'm thinking of Footloose and Purple Rain. Yep. Both of those were monster albums that held number one on the charts for a long time. Streets of Fire. The, the movie, yeah. yeah, there's another one. So but my other thing, and I'm stepping outside of my area of expertise here, but I'm going to venture to say that it was an Apex year for horror movies because not only did you get a Friday the 13th movie, I've got listed here Firestarter, Dreamscape, uh -huh. Chud, Children of the Corn, the first one. Yeah. Yep. Okay. The very first ever Nightmare on Elm Street. Wow. Which, on the very same day that was released, there was another slasher movie that came out also called Silent Night, Deadly Night. Oh, yeah. And then if you move the goalposts a little bit, if you decide to include ghostbusters and gremlins in there they're both top 10 finishers for the year and then it's, it closes the deal so i don't know if you have a better year for horror 1984 yeah yeah all right we got less than two minutes to go but i think we can, we can get this in i just want to know who won 1984 give me one name in, in and you get 30 seconds uh bobby who won 1984 captain chaos 
Cannonball Run 2. You know, Captain <laughs> Gary. <laughs> <laughs> the run. Yeah. I didn't even mention that one. You're right. <laughs> I had that one. I was saving that one for the recap question where I'm not going to get to. But, not get to it. Yeah, that's how it goes. That's how but, it goes. Uh, no, I, I think it, it, for an, an honest answer, the, I, I think – uh, there were a few place people that won. Obviously, we mentioned Eddie Murphy. I think this was Eddie Murphy had a great year. Bill Murray had a great year. I think yeah. you know you clearly and obviously in Star Trek and Terminator because you know they they still were on an uphill trajectory. Okay, yeah. quickly, who, who, who won the uh, Prince won nineteen eighty four. Uh, there's just no question. Like all of a sudden, he reaches to the stratosphere. Uh, the movie grosses 72 million, only costs like 7.2 million to make. Come on, that's crazy. Yeah. Gets an Oscar, gets a Grammy. Come on, the guy like walks out of 1984 a totally like superstar level. He simultaneously held the number one movie, the number one song, and the number one album all at the same time. Been done, how, how do you, how do you not the Beatles? Yeah, yeah how do you not do that? That's so, amazing. So that's a good answer. Eddie Murphy was my other answer. But if I have time, I would to give something different, I'll say that who won 1984 were science fiction fantasy fans. Yeah. So, so real quick, some, so get these in. Some of these we've already named. Some we haven't mentioned yet. Gremlins. This is all 1984. Gremlins, Terminator, Star Trek 3, Firestarter, Dreamscape, Greystoke, Supergirl, Buckaroo Banzai, Repo Man. 2010, Dune, Starman, and The Last Starfighter, and Runaways, and Ice Pirates. Yep. And Ice Pirates. Oh, yeah, Ice Pirates. Gets it at the buzzer. I, I, I agree that Prince certainly did a big – I think it's him and, him and Eddie Murphy. And I do think this is Apex Mountain for Eddie Murphy just because I don't think he was ever bigger than this again. I think this is when he got to the mountaintop, and he stayed there for a while. But this is when he got there and said, I am one of the biggest stars. I was on TV late night for a long time. Now here I am, your biggest box office guy. I'll never forget when 48 Hours came out, there was a poll in the paper that said people that went to see 48 Hours, did you go to see it for like its subject matter or something else or because of the star Nick Nolte? And I'm like, if I went, saw it, it'd be for Eddie Murphy. And he wasn't even an option. <laughs> like two years, three years later, he's the biggest star on the planet. That yeah. just shows you how quickly so all right gang we're out of time that was awesome you guys did a great great job i appreciate it appreciate it and dragon con we will see you guys uh, at the show hopefully adios everybody thank you guys Listen, uh, this has been a white rocket entertainment production